0: In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and beginning in verse 8, it says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love. Abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. This last week, I got a new tool. I'm going to show it to you. It's pretty awesome. Tim came over and we were looking at it. I was showing it to him. He hadn't seen it yet. And and uh, so he's kind of playing around with it, I was too. And then Lisa, I didn't even notice she was taking pictures, and she put them on Facebook. Then I think it was Kathy Mastry, and said we're like little boys or something, but she's not wrong, I guess. <laughs> but you know, I was thinking this nice, shiny new tool, it's, pre- it's pretty awesome. I've actually been waiting for it to get here for a while, because I ordered one from somewhere, and it didn't come, didn't come, finally I got it somewhere else. And the reason I did is because I have a job that I have to do, it's inside somebody's home. When the home was originally built years ago, they put these logs from the upstairs down to the downstairs. What the customer wants now is they want these stair treads cut into those logs. As fun as it is to get something shiny and new like that and everything in a tool, really the, the value is in the project. It's not in the tool itself. It's in what you can do with the tool. Uh, I've noticed in, in construction that I, I always evaluate everything now. When I, I look at getting a new tool, I stop and think now, wait a minute, is this tool going to pay for itself? Is it going to do what it needs to do? Because you know some jobs are the kind of jobs that I don't do very often, so to buy a tool just to sit on the shelf in the garage or in the back of the trailer or the back of a truck or van uh, is really kind of pointless. And so, if it's not a kind of job that I do very often, then I would rather somebody else owns it and I just rent it when I need it. But if it's something that I'm going to use regularly or that opens up another area that I can do more often, well, then the tool is worth it, and then then it's kind of an exciting time. It would be foolish to get more excited about the tool than the project at hand. But but the reason that I bring all that up is that's exactly what was happening in Corinth. In Corinth, we're in the middle of a passage dealing with gifts, right? Chapter 12 started talking about spiritual gifts. Chapter 14 is going to talk about spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 is in that context, but it's talking about love. We've talked about gifts. We're going to continue to talk about gifts. But in the moment, we find ourselves talking about love. And we've been focusing on this for three weeks. In doing that, we've seen the prominence of love as it's supposed to be in our lives scripturally. We've seen the perfections of love as we've come to know more clearly what it is. And then this week, we're we're focusing on the permanence of love. Now, why, when we're talking about spiritual gifts here and here, do we talk about love in the middle? Because the Apostle Paul is saying, you, Corinthians have gotten so enamored with the tools, you forgot about the reason for the tools. You see, a spiritual gift is a tool. God wants to accomplish something in the life of a church, so He gifts an individual or individuals within that church with a gift that they can then use within the church, and it builds up the church. It it edifies the church. But a spiritual gift is really just a tool to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. But the problem is with this area of spiritual gifts is that people tend to focus sometimes on the tool and get excited about the tool. And God says, you're missing the point. It's not the tool that we're after here. And that's the whole point of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Is God says, you've gotten too caught up in the tools that I've given you to accomplish the task. You've lost the reason that I gave you the tools. And you know what that reason is? That reason is love. They needed to be focused on Loving one another, not looking at who had the best gift or who was the most gifted in a certain area. Not something that would raise them up, but where their gift would raise everybody up and encourage everybody. Well, today what we're looking at is the permanence of love. And the reason we're looking at the permanence of love is because is one more opportunity to focus on why love is, as we first looked at, preeminent. Why it is in such a place. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in chapter 12, he listed a whole bunch of different spiritual gifts. And he said, but let me, let me show you a better way. And then as he begins to show him the, another way, a better way, what is that way? It's the way of love. If I speak with the tongues of men and, have, and angels, but have not love, I'm like a gong or a cymbal. If I have all knowledge, which we don't have, all these things come to nothing if not for Love. The gift is how God accomplishes something. Love is why God accomplishes something. Now, he does, at the conclusion of chapter 13, he focuses on three things. He says faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, why would love be greater than faith and hope? And you know what the answer is? Because of its permanence. Because it's, it's ongoing. It's, it's never going to stop. You see, in the eternal state, when we're with Christ forever, what happens to hope? It goes away. The Bible says, if you have something that you hoped for, hope goes away because you're not hoping for it anymore. You have it. And at that time, we're going to have Christ in a very physical reality on forever. And so we won't need hope anymore. And faith either. What is faith? Faith is our response to things that are not seen. Well, at that time, we're going to see Christ. We're going to be in His presence. And so faith goes away also, which leaves just one thing. And that one thing never goes away. All throughout, from eternity past into eternity future, it leaves love. Love is permanent. Now, what he's going to do is he's going to compare some of those gifts. He's going to bring those back up and he's going to compare them to love and we're going to see that those things will fade away and love is what will remain and so that's what we're focusing on this morning is the permanence of love. Well, first of all, <clears throat> I want to focus on the passing nature of the gifts. As he's trying to show you that love's going to stick around forever, he compares it to a couple things and the first one is the gifts. And he Focuses on their passing nature. In fact, he uses that word, that word passing. Notice it says love never ends, and it's good for us to recognize where we left off, because when we left off talking about the qualities of love, the very last part of verse 7 says, says what? That it endures all things. And so that just segues beautifully into verse 8, which says love never ends. It endures all things. It never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, or the the idea of the gift of knowledge, it will pass away. And so his point is simply this, that all these gifts that he's listing, at some point, they go away. Now, it's interesting because they kind of tend to go away at different times. He lists three different gifts here in this passage, and he uses two different verbs in discussing what's going to happen with them. The gifts that he lists are knowledge and prophecy. Now, the word prophecy in the Bible doesn't always mean foretelling what's going to happen. It can mean that. It can mean God revealing His will to people or even revealing future events to people. But it also means teaching the words that He's already given us, the revelation of His will that He's already given us within the Scripture. But He says, you know what? The prophecies, they're going to pass away. Knowledge, it's going to pass away. Well, when is it going to pass away? It says, when that which is perfect comes, then that which is in part shall be done away with. And so the point that he's making is uh, what we're doing this morning. All of the elements of this are always going to be necessary. We're spending time right now digging into God's word teaching. I'm trying to, to learn what this passage, each passage just teaches us about God and his will for us and try to make that clear, try to open our eyes to the reality of who Christ is in each passage that we looked at. But you know what? One day we're going to be standing in front of Him just like I'm standing in front of you right now. And it's not going to be uh, necessarily going back and quoting Scripture and studying a passage. It's going to be He's right in front of you. Just talk to Him. And so these gifts, they're going to go away. When will they go away? When that which is perfect comes. Now, which, what is that which is perfect? Well, there's lots of different theories on it. One theory is that it's Scripture. When the New Testament became complete that was the perfect revealed will of god and so these other things would prophecies and these other things would fade away they would be or they'd be put an end to I don't think it's that way because the Apostle Paul continues to speak and say, you know what, even now we still see through a glass darkly, but then we'll see face to face. Well, maybe it's when Jesus comes back. Maybe it's the rapture and we go to be with Him. I don't think that's it either because there's going to be people still on this earth that need to see some clarity. So I'm not going to go through all of them, but most likely it seems to make the most sense that it's in the eternal state. When we're finally after the kingdom of Christ is set up on this earth and we go through that and then there's the final rebellion and we're forever with God in the new heavens and the new earth, I think that is the perfect state. When that which is perfect comes, when we're finally in Christ's presence every day, then we're not going to need prophecies and we're not going to need the gift of knowledge because it's just going to be wide open in front of us. The Apostle Paul says, I see through a glass darkly, but then I'm going to be face to face. It's just going to be right there, the clarity of it. So I'm going to be out of a job when it comes to that point. But that's his whole point, is the gifts have a purpose for now. But they're not eternal like love. They're temporary to accomplish eternal things in the lives of people as you get brought into the love of Christ so that you can experience that love. Well, not only do we have those two gifts that he says those are going to be brought to an end by that which is perfect, but he says we also have this gift of tongues which is going to cease. Now that's a different verb there. uh, And it's in a different voice. We have the the passing away of these other two things, and those are in a passive voice in the Greek language. In a passive voice, what that means is this, that it's passive. In other words, something else is acting upon it. What it's saying is prophecy and knowledge, something else is going to put an end to those. They're going to pass away, but it's not of their own accord. That which is perfect is going to bring an end to their existence. But then he says about tongues, it's different. Tongues is in a middle voice. And the middle voice means it's a change that's going to come from within tongues is just going to cease, not when that which is perfect comes and notice he doesn't list tongues again in the passage as he does knowledge and prophecies a couple of verses down because they will have already faded out when that which is perfect comes. but he says tongues is just going to cease in other words, it's just going to fade out in and of itself it's it's here for a for a time in fact, just like that. Tool has batteries. One commentator, uh John MacArthur, compared it to a battery. He says the tongues was here for a time, and when it ran out of energy it was done. You see, tongues is what we call a, a sign gift. Right? There are other gifts that were sign gifts as well, like healing. The reason we call them a sign gift is well because the Apostle John called them signs repeatedly in the New Testament, in his gospel. And a sign does what? It gives you information. It says this this happening right here is pointing you towards something. And what we see in Scripture is that miracles always point you towards something. They point you towards God's new revelation of Himself. If you look back through the history of the Bible, you find miracles take place in about four different times, right? They took place during Moses and Joshua, about 40 plus years there. They took place during Elijah and Elisha. Probably about the same amount of time there. During Daniel's time, some people don't necessarily count Daniel's time. They'd narrow it down to three. And then during Christ and the apostles. That's where most of the miracles of the Bible fit into those areas. Well, what was happening in each of those time periods, God was giving new revelation. It's not that miracles aren't the everyday. We wouldn't call them miracles if they were everyday. And so miracles are put in place to be a sign to point us to something, some truth. And we see that happening like, like in the Gospel of John. John chapter 3, and verse 2, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You see, the, the miracles that Jesus was doing was pointing Nicodemus to a greater truth, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah that God sent for the Jewish people and to be the Savior of the world. Nicodemus was reading the signs and it directed him right to who Christ was. In John chapter 5, Jesus, in a discussion with the religious leaders, they want to see proof for who he is. It's kind of an amazing time because he just fed multitudes with a boy's lunch and they turn around and say, All right, show us something. None so blind as those who won't see, right? But he says this to him, he says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And so they're asking for proof and Jesus says, you want proof? You want testimony? Look at the things that I'm doing. Nicodemus caught it. Nobody can do these unless God's with them. These point to the truth of who I am. That's what Jesus is telling them. Well, in John chapter 7, In verse 31, kind of not the religious leaders, but the general public is starting to catch on. They're reading the signs. It says, yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? You see, all the miracles that Jesus did was proof of who he was. It testified to who he was. And that's why John gives the purpose of his gospel in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. You see, the miracles, a lot of the gifts of miracles in the early church were there to point to two things. To Christ, that He's the Savior, and to the Apostles that they're carrying on his ministry as the foundation of the church gets laid in their ministry. And once the foundation is complete, those sign gifts go away. Like tongues. Tongues was a, was a, was a sign gift. You know, Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews chapter two and verses three and four. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It was spoken unto us by these guys, the apostles and prophets, and it was confirmed through the signs, through the miracles. That was the purpose in these sign gifts that would fade away. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians twelve twelve he says the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience. The signs and wonders and mighty works. Tongues was a sign. It was a sign on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit was showing up. It was a sign to the Jewish people. In fact, it quotes from Isaiah chapter twenty-eight and in first Corinthians chapter fourteen and in verse twenty-one, in the law it is written by people of strange tongues, and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. He's saying, look, this is a sign given to Israel. I'm going to speak to you through people of other tongues. Which tongue just means like a language or speech. And we saw that fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Well, we also see it was kind of a sign to the early church. Because the early church had some struggles. It had some struggles with when the Samaritan people began to accept Christ. And they thought, can a Samaritan really accept Christ? Or a, Jew, or a Gentile? The Gentile, Can a Gentile person really? Can a pagan really accept Christ? And they had some real struggles with that. The first struggle hit Peter. Peter was in Acts chapter 10, was on top of a roof, which they'd always often do in the cool of an evening. God revealed to him, God was going to do a work among the Gentiles and save the Gentiles. And Peter had a hard time with that at first until he saw something. And you know what he saw? He saw in a very visible way the Holy Spirit come on these people. So at Cornelius' house, Cornelius was the Gentile who sent servants to fetch Peter. And in chapter 10, verses 45-47, through it says, And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Peter preaches the Gospel to these people and the Holy Spirit comes on them. How do you know the Holy Spirit comes on them? Because they speak in tongues. And so he says, wow, obviously they can come to Christ. Obviously they can become a Christian. Because we see the Holy Spirit came on them just like it did us back at Pentecost. And then when they go from there and tell other believers, the other believers are like, I don't know. So they decided to have a big church meeting. In Acts chapter 15, they gather together the apostles and pastors down in Jerusalem, and they have a meeting to deal with this subject. It says, And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus just as they will. You see, what did Peter do? He looked at the sign. The sign that the Gentiles believed was the sign of them speaking in tongues because the Holy Spirit came on them and made them speak in tongues. We haven't wrestled with that issue in a couple thousand years. But that was God's way of directing the early church to show them what He would do among the Gentiles. And then you know what happens? It just faded out. The last place you find tongues used is in Acts chapter 19. And there's 28 chapters to the book of Acts. It's a history book. Pretty early in the book, Acts chapter 19, you find the last place that tongues is recorded to happening. The only place that we're taught about the use of tongues is in 1 Corinthians, one of Paul's early epistles. Paul never mentions tongues in another epistle. Peter never mentions them in his epistles. John doesn't mention them in his epistles. It just kind of fades out. In fact, if you look at history, the early church has nothing. It's completely silent about the gift of tongues. Almost completely silent. If you look at writings of people like Origen and others, early church leaders... They're quiet. And some of them even, uh, I think it was Virgil, put together several lists of spiritual gifts and he left tongues out of all of them. Why would he leave it out? Well, because it had already faded off. It had gone away. Uh, uh, Chrysostom, in a teaching that he had on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he mentions the gift of tongues. He said it's one of those sign gifts. It was here for a little while and it faded out. In fact, he said, it really would be hard for us even to define exactly what it was at this point with any accuracy at all. And so then tongues just kind of vanished off the scene. There was one, uh, Marcion, that that uh, kind of claimed it, but he also claimed that God was giving him further revelation a couple hundred years later. Other than that, in history, the only place you find tongues is not till you get up to like the 16th, 17th century. And then there's a couple groups here and there. You know when it really starts to pick up again? 19th century, then you start to find through Pentecostalism, Pentecostalism kind of reached back for it, Um, and then the charismatic movement took it and ran from there. But we had 1,800 years with no real mention of tongues. Why? Because just as this passage teaches us here, prophecies, knowledge is going to be done away with when that which is perfect comes. Tongues is going to fade out on its own. It has its time and its purpose, but it's going to be gone. And then it'll be no more until the reviving of it in the time of the kingdom phase. And so what do we see? The first thing he does to point out the permanence of love is show the passing nature of the gifts. The gifts are here for a little while to accomplish a certain task. You know what's really going to hold? Love. Why do we have gifts that we can use to build one another up? Love. How should we use those gifts to build one another up? Love. That's the one that's permanent. But then not only does he show the passing nature of the gifts, but also he talks about the partial nature of knowledge. The partial nature of knowledge. You know, it ought to humble us how little we know. God has revealed a lot to us and we have clarity within His Word. There's no doubt about it. But no matter how long you study this book, there's going to be places within it that you're just like, I'm not sure what he's talking about right there. And I've noticed that no matter how long I dig in and study this book, there's always things that I'm like, oh, holy cow, I never realized that. As you learn more and knowledge compounds upon itself, you learn more and you get a deeper, deeper appreciation and deeper understanding. And it ought to humble us when we recognize how much we don't know. It's kind of like I think of like science or the medical world. Like the medical world can do astounding things. There's a lot of things that can be done within the medical world. But you know what? We're not even near the place where we're ready to stop calling it a practice. They're still practicing on you. We know some things that can do amazing things in life and promote health in the life of people. But you know what? For all the things that we know, there's so much more that we don't. You know, I've had a stupid rash that comes up on me here and there for a year and a half. And it irritated me for a while. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to get this taken care of. And I went to the doctor. The doctor dug two scoops out of my leg to go test that rash. And they put me on steroids that knocked it out while I was on the steroids. As soon as I got off the steroids, it came right back. Sent me down to a dermatologist in Duluth. I went down to the dermatologist and they said, yeah, we're gonna put you on steroids again, but a cream this time, and this will, this will help it. Well, it does the same thing while it's on there, does good, later, comes back. We also want you to put them compression socks, and they gave me like three different things to do, different things to wash with, different, a whole different routine, and I don't like it. (laughs) I brought this thing back to my wife, and she keeps telling me I'm a baby. But I brought this paper back to my wife and I said, look, they gave me this thing. It tells me what I've got. So I'm, I'm encouraged. I think this is going to do it. And what do I have? Some, something or other dermatitis. I don't know. I don't, I don't, can't pronounce the first part. Something or other dermatitis. And I'm like, see, they got a name. We, we're on a good track here. She says, yeah, that means you have itchy skin. I was like, why didn't they just write, you have itchy skin? But they're still learning. It's a practice. they for the things that we do know, there's so much more that we don't. We see the same thing in science, right? In, in, in science, I remember <laughs> reading on Facebook not too long ago, somebody put a, a post up and they said, if you argue with a scientist, then you're just wrong. Because they're scientists and you're not, so you're just wrong. And I thought, isn't forecasting weather a science? <laughs> science isn't really a body of truth. Science is a method, right? You keep, you keep testing things until you stumble across the right, the right way to do it. The guy that invented the, the light bulb, what, didn't he make like 2,000 light bulbs that didn't work before he made one that did? That means he's wrong 2,000 times. Finally got one right, and we get light forever after that. Kudos, I love having light bulbs, they're great. But you know what, that does mean that it, it's not a foolproof system. Do you know why we have science? Western culture cultivated science, because we knew that this place was made by a rational God, so there must be good reasons for how things work. And so let's study this and find those good reasons. We'll bring glory to God. We'll bring benefit to ourselves. And everybody wins. That's why science took off in Western society as opposed to your Eastern societies. But you know what? For all that science learns, there is so much that we don't know. I remember when I was sitting in a a history class in college. And the very first chapter of the history book was called Prehistory. I don't know why it's there. History means you've got recorded events and prehistory means you don't, so it's not even really history, but it said uh, the universe came into being about four to six million years ago. And our teacher stood up there and said, all I want to say about this first chapter is just this one thing. When I sat where you sat, which was only about 20 years prior, 25 years prior, it said about 270,000 years ago. So it's gone in my time, it's gone from 270,000 years old to four to six million years old. It's aging quickly. <laughs> and I thought just about that four to six million if I went up to somebody else and said, I'm trying to find something. Could you tell me where it is? And they said it's about that, that direction, about four to six million miles away. I would think you do not have a clue where it is. <laughs> you want to know why? Because it's a difference of two million miles. Somebody said that says the age of the earth is four to six million. They left a two million year gap ah, somewhere in here. I'm not banking on the accuracy, right? Now, what are they saying today? Twelve to fifteen billion years, I think they say now. So a three billion year difference between the early and the late end of that? Yeah, see, science, we got a lot more to learn in those areas. For as much as we have learned, there is so much more of the secrets left to be unlocked. That's exactly what he's saying here. The Apostle Paul is saying, for all that we know, we know so little. He said that we see through a glass darkly. He says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I had to put away childish things. A couple of weeks ago, Asher came up to me, it was Wednesday, and we were going to have a a club jam that night. And he comes up to me about five minutes before we got to leave to come over to the church for club jam. And Asher comes up to me and says, Papa, can I make a jump pad? Now what he means by that is he wants to go take some cushions off the couches downstairs and put them at the bottom of the stairs. And then he climbs up the stairs pretty high and jumps and lands on these cushions. My grandson Silas did it without the cushions one time from the second step from the top, but scared me to death. But he wanted to make a jump pad. I said, Asher, we only got like five minutes, so we can't this time. He's like, okay. We went to the church. So the next week, he comes up to me again about five minutes before time to go. And he says, Papa, can I make a jump pad? I didn't have the heart to tell him no. And so I told him, I said, alright Asher, go ahead. But here's the deal. We've got to leave for church in about five minutes. And so, just a little one, okay? Just make a little jump pad. He goes and makes his jump pad. I wait about ten minutes. So now we're a little bit of pressure to get out the door. And I go back... Round the st- top of the stairs and I look down and every cushion and pillow off of all the furniture in the basement is piled at the bottom for this deluxe jump pad. And I'm like, Asher, I told you a small one. we got to get to church. We're going to be late. And you know what he says to me? But Papa, you want to see this jump? <laughs> I said, you bet I do. <laughs> And it was an impressive jump. And then we hurried up and got rid of the kitchens and got out the door to church. Made it in time, but but a little sweaty probably. You know, that, that's the difference. When we're, when we're a child, when you're a child, you think like a child, you reason like a child. You're, different things are higher up on the priority chart than when you're a man. And the Apostle Paul says, you know what, that's what our knowledge is like. We're like children. With all that God has for us to learn about who He is, we're like children in front of Him. And so, he started out this back, in, back at the beginning of chapter 13. If we had all knowledge, what he's saying right now is, we're not even close. Even if we had all knowledge but didn't have love, we would be like nothing. He says we're not even close to having all knowledge. We're like a child looking at the things that God is revealing to us. Love is the better way to go. Why? Because love is permanent. These gifts are here for a little while. or Some of them, I should say, were here for a little while to lay the foundation of the church, to encourage the believers, to build them up, and to establish that ministry. Even the ones that we participate in today are eventually going to go away, and what's going to exist in the end is love. And so love is that better way.